Your stories don't define you. How you tell them will. Hi, I'm Sarah Elkins, your host and chief storymaker of Elkins Consulting. Many of my clients reach out to me because they're in transition. Their children are hitting milestone ages. They want more from their work. They're hitting a big number birthday. And they want to develop clarity about their natural strengths, what their next adventure might look like. In this series, you'll hear me ask my guests questions to dig deeply into the stories that shaped their lives, stories that uncover patterns and may unveil insights into dissatisfaction and also where their strengths lie and where they found and continue to find joy. This podcast's intention is to have listeners think of their own related stories and how they tell them, discovering the internal messages that are limiting their success and discovering how to shift their stories so they become positive life lessons to move them forward. If you're curious about what it would be like to work with me, visit elkinsconsulting.com and schedule a one-time 90-minute StrengthsFinder session. Well, I rarely have a guest on more than once on my podcast because I'm always meeting such interesting people. It seems kind of like, you know, when you go on a trip and um, you think, oh, I want to come back here and explore some more, but then there are so many other places on your list. It just seems silly to go back to a place where you've already been. But today is a wonderful exception. My dear friend, Valerie Gordon, is joining me today to talk about her book, Find Your Narrator, and to talk about really what happens when we have an achievement that we can't really hold on to and think that it's an achievement. Um, so Valerie, thank you so much for joining me again. I will make sure we have a link to your first episode with me from a couple of years ago in the blog post. I think we were due a revisit and I'm with you, Sarah. There are so many terrific stories to uncover out there. Um, and I appreciate the opportunity to come back and talk about our inner stories, because I think the last time we talked a lot about the art of storytelling and, and, you know, how to tell them with more impact. And I love what you say about, you know, your stories don't define you, how you tell them will. And what I'd love to explore with you today is the idea of how you tell them to yourself Will, because you and I have talked about this a lot about the incredible, incredible power of our inner stories and the impact that they have on our external results. Absolutely. Absolutely. And one of the things that always resonates with me when I think back about our first conversation on the podcast was when you talked about the unlikelies, the, the things in our lives that are when you look at them on the surface, they're unlikely to inspire us and make us want to do more. But um, when you dig a little deeper, they absolutely help us get inspired. And one of the things that I think about a lot because it was that conversation with you was that sometimes envy is a great motivator. And um, so I just wanted to make sure you remember that that's something that was important in our conversation that first time. Right. And envy is one of those unlikelies, those elements we don't like and think are unlikely to help us, but are great story drivers. And we can actually start with envy because I will tell you that this book that I recently published, Fire Your Narrator, A Storyteller's Guide to Getting Out of Your Head and Into Your Life, started with envy. And uh, the envy I felt was seeing you and many other accomplished authors with their books published. And I had always wanted to publish a book. It had been a a dream of mine for some time. I had started and stopped the process a number of times. And every time I saw someone I knew who published a book, I had I was very happy for them. So I hope no one takes this the wrong way. Of course I'm happy. But at the same time, I felt this internal wave of envy of just, oh, I want that too. Why do I not have that? How can I get that? And that's where the unlikelies come into play. We don't like how they make us feel, but they are unlikely story drivers and then they set things into action. So for me, it was, okay, well, if I'm feeling envious, that's a sign of something that I want uh, because it has some meaning or importance to me. Now, what happens next? What do I want to do with that? And when I talk about active authorship of your own story, it's very much you are in charge of this thing. So I can sit here and complain about everybody having their book and I don't have one and woe is me, which sounds a bit like the defeatist narrator that I explore in Fire Your Narrator, or I can actually take some action against it. And I think the unlikely element of envy in that story did push me 
to get back to work and to finish this book. Not the first one I started. Um, it morphed a few times and ultimately I, I trimmed um, the, the content of the book to a point where it was about, it was more specific to a workshop topic that I teach about our, the power of our inner stories, which always seem to be popular. And that's what I explore in, in the book is very much how we talk to ourselves and it goes beyond the idea of an inner critic, which is what most people think about, to the idea of this voiceover that accompanies us throughout our day. And I call that the narrator. Mm -hmm. I love the concept. Um, and one of the things that I remember from our conversation um, earlier this year, I think, was uh, when we were talking about your StrengthsFinder results. And uh, you hired me to walk through these. And we were not surprised. Neither of us were surprised to see strategic and competition at the top of your list. <laughs> so many people with that particular combination of talents have a tendency to hit that, that envy point as a motivator. And then when they get to the accomplishment, it doesn't feel real because they're on to the next one. Exactly. Exactly. And I explore that. It's interesting because so much of our work parallels each other. And I was so thrilled to explore StrengthsFinders with you. I learned things about myself in that session with you that I wish I had known during the years that I struggled in the corporate world. It just made so much sense to me. And you really helped me read and understand the results in a way that helped me understand how I process things and why I do the things that I do and to be more observant about them in the future. And how that relates to one of the narrative types in the book, and there are 10 actually. So when I say fire your narrator, it's about identifying this voice in your head and what the stories that it tells you. And while most people think of this as an inner critic, uh, that's probably how it's most commonly thought of. I say that the inner critic is just one of 10 narrative types. And I explore the nine others and what they sound like so that readers can map their own. And when you talk about the idea of competition and envy, that speaks very much to the narrative type of the striver, which I am, when the striver is that voice in your head that constantly says, yeah, that was good, but it's not good enough. Or, hey, great job finishing that project. Now what's next? So even for me, as we were talking about the feeling of completing a book, it's very satisfying, but it's not magic. It doesn't solve everything. It's not like you wake up the next day and you say, oh, I'm done. And in particular, <laughs> if you have that striving narrator, I think you do always have that voice in your head that tells you there's another mountain to climb. Go get it. Go get it. Go get it. And that can be a motivating voice, but it can also be an exhausting voice. So that is one of the narrative types I explore in the book for any of your listeners who are the same as me that, you know, and, and you, the high achieving, really want to have an impact, really want to grow ourselves, have an impact on the people around us. Sometimes that striving narrator can take over in that it doesn't allow us to enjoy the fruits of our labor. Do you also find that sometimes when we're in that mode, we uh, damage relationships with others? I think I'm probably guilty of that in that sometimes when you see someone else's success and you, you never know the full story, of course, you only see what they allow you to see or you only see the surface level. And that can make us perhaps less likely to engage in a real human level. And I, I recall, Sarah, a conversation you and I had very early on, and it might have been around the time that I was feeling this massive sense of envy over other speakers getting opportunities or writers finishing their books. And, you know, and I was feeling like other people are doing what I'm doing and is this really worth it? And you said something so powerful to me. You said, there's room for you. There is room for you. And I remember probably my inner narrator at that time was immediately like, no, there's not, you know, like there's only so much pie to go around. <laughs> but as I hear your voice in my head and, you know, your love of stories, and I do think there is room in the story for everybody. It might not all happen at the same time, but that simple statement that you made for me re made me realize that for as much as you can want the things that you want, um, and still be happy for other people to, to have them, but you can also still have the relationship with that person who is having the success without feeling bad about yourself at the same time. Mm -hmm. But that's tricky 
And I can tell you, you also have achievers, number seven. So it's not way up there, but it's definitely high along with competition. And sometimes what I see is other people look at you like, oh, look at this high achiever. I could never do what she's doing. Um, I feel small beside you. And I've seen that, especially in partnership relationships with um, you and your your significant other. Um, If the significant other doesn't have that same drive and ambition, um, sometimes we're like, why don't you have that same drive and ambition? And sometimes they're like, why are you working so hard? Don't, don't you want to enjoy our time together? And so being able to, I love this idea of being able to know which voice is speaking to you at that moment. It's really similar to knowing which of your strengths is right now in the toilet <laughs> because it's not helping you. It's acting as a weakness. Um, so it's, it's a really similar idea, but for people who are not familiar with StrengthsFinder to be able to look at this and say, oh, my overthinking narrator is going, what other narrator can I actually listen to that will help me get past this one? Mm-hmm, absolutely. And, and that the driving voice also comes from, and, and I know you understand and appreciate this, early stories and how we experience them, that this whole idea of this voice in your head or this narrator or the strengths that just seem so innate in us, many of them were born from early experiences. So Mm -hmm. for example, I can tell you about one of my um, overarching thoughts that that really I've had a hard time kind of getting over. And and now that when I'm, I'm introduced at conferences to speak and they say, you know, Valerie Gordon, 20 years in media, 10 time Emmy award winning producer, and now she runs this company and it sounds great, right? But there's a voice in my head that says, yeah, that doesn't, you know, that that's not really you. And by the way, you shouldn't brag so much. (laughs) <laughs> so literally, as I'm staking, taking the stage, I have this voice in my head kind of telling me like, hey, slow down there. You know, you're not so great and you shouldn't, you shouldn't be so proud of yourself. And in the book, I explore the origins of some of these stories that we come to believe about ourselves. And I can actually trace that back, a story that I tell in the book about being sort of an awkward high schooler, you know, wanting people to notice me, but not wanting anyone to notice me. And being interviewed for the school paper because as a freshman, I made the varsity ski team, which wasn't actually that big of a deal because I didn't grow up near a big ski mountain. But again, there's my inner narrator making sure that, you know, I'm not actually that great of a skier, but I was interviewed for the paper. And I remember in, in ninth grade being really proud of that. And the day the paper came out, my friends were all gathered in the cafeteria looking at it. And I went to them and I I don't know what I expected that they would say, congratulations, or this is really cool. And instead they were reading it and reading it in a way where I was talking about my accomplishments that they determined, you know, I had broken some sort of girl code that, you know, thou shall not speak kindly of thyself. And, and, and rather than saying congratulations, one of them, I remember this clearly said to me, you know, you're so full of yourself, you know, you shouldn't, you shouldn't brag so much. And imagine being, I don't know, 14, 15 and, and hearing Middle that. And, and while Ooh. I don't remember anything else from the day, I do remember that I ate alone, you know, that that moment of being so proud of myself for being in the paper um, didn't, didn't wind up really helping me. And that's where to me, and that voice of, yes, accomplish a lot, but don't talk about it. Don't be too proud about it. I really feel like that was the origin of that story. And yet, if you can imagine carrying that story around for 30 plus years and how it pops up at really inopportune moments when you should be feeling confident or proud to have that voice saying, oh, you know, don't be so braggy. You know, you're so mm-hmm. full of yourself. You're not all that. Mm-hmm. And that's what really, to me, the power of an inner story is all about, that we have this voice that talks to us. It is born from early experiences, and then it filters everything that happens thereafter through this narrative lens, this narrative point of view. So it only strengthens through time. And that's why we need to question those stories we tell ourselves, that that voice in our head, those beliefs we have about ourselves. And I'm curious to know, Sarah, whether you have such a story and what your thoughts are and how those stories might impact those natural strengths that you uncover through strengths finders? I have so many, as you can imagine. <laughs> um, but I keep coming back to this young teenager in a group of girls and feeling small. And you had this immediate direct consequence 
for having something positive said about you. So this isn't surprising at all to me that that has long-term effect is because you had this immediate consequence. And so anytime you felt the urge to toot your own horn in any way to acknowledge something you did that was cool, you would have this, oh, the consequence is going to be that I'm going to eat alone, that nobody's going to like me. Mm -hmm. And ouch, what we do to other girls at those (laughs) ages. So my first thought was, how do we reach other girls to let them know not to do this? <laughs> like, that was my initial thought. Right, right, exactly. And how do we make sure, especially these days, we're talking so much about finding success at work is about knowing how to amplify your own achievements and to speak up and to be confident and to speak to your skills. And that can be very difficult if you feel that there will be consequences for, for doing so. But that's one reason why, and especially in the book, I, I give tips about how to question that voice in your head and what it's telling you. Is it really true that you're so full of yourself that you brag all the time that you don't deserve the accolades? I mean, who says it so? And then I ask a few more questions. So, so now what? I mean, what do you want to do with that, with that information? And memory is a tricky thing too, Sarah. I mean, it's entirely possible that the event, as I remember it, maybe it went down a different way. As you know, we're far more likely to remember negative experiences than positive ones or things that are out of the ordinary. And I often wonder, you know, whether my memory of that day is even exactly as it, as it happened or whether I've changed it over time. So that's why it makes sense to go back and investigate some of those early stories and, and how we use them today and to make sure that, that, that if they're outdated or unhelpful, that maybe it's time to re- rewrite them. So that in this case, you can own your accomplishments. But in other cases, you know, if you're the kind of person, let's say, who who um, t- tends to ruminate on past mistakes. So one of the narrators is a ruminating narrator. And this is someone who, you know, remembers maybe a, a, something they made a gaffe, you know, a week ago or a year ago or five years ago. I know people who can't let go of things that happened and it becomes sort of this fear response moving forward. They're afraid to kind of put themselves out there because of some bad memories that they're ruminating on. So that's another type of narrator as well that's going to get in your way of a future success. Where did that story start and how do we rewrite it? Absolutely. And um, I, when I think back at your story of what happened, and maybe it didn't happen the way that, it, that you remember it, let's say that it did. Let's say that it happened exactly as you remembered it. What I like to do with you and with other friends and clients is to say, okay, let's pretend that it happened exactly the way you remember it. What was going on with these other girls? Did it really have anything to do with you? Were you actually sitting there going, I am all that. I am skiing on the varsity team and I rock. Were you actually saying that? Were you even giving a slight impression that that's how you were as a human? No. So I think about these other girls like, well, damn, those girls are awful. Those are mean girls. And do you really want to fit in with them? (laughs) Do you really want them to like you? (laughs) So when I, you asked me this question about what are my stories that have done that to me, I have, I have lots of them and they were really similar where girls were mean. Um, they, they would say something mean to me and I'd hold on to it for years, years and years. And I do the same thing. I stop myself. I think, well, wait a minute. Is that true? Is it true? And the other thing that popped into my head is that we do need to acknowledge when we've done something cool. Um, I, I have hit this point where like you, I hear my bio read and I cringe, not because it's not accurate, but because it, it does, it sounds like a bunch of bragging. So now when I'm about to step on the stage for a keynote, um, in advance, I've already asked the person that's going to introduce me to tell a story about how we met. What did, why did they hire me? What was something that caught their attention about the work that I'm doing that made them want to bring me to the stage. And then when I I offer or I ask them to say, if you want to actually learn more about her credentials, it's all on her website at elkinsconsulting.com. Look it up. But for now, let's just enjoy our time together. 
And I love that approach because obviously they're learning something different about you that they can't read on your website um, and it makes it more personable and it makes it easier for you. But I would want to get back to what is it about our accomplishments that makes us feel so cringy? Why do we have a hard time owning them? Why is it so much easier for me to look at you and say, wow, look at all her accomplishments and to want to read them. But if you were to do the same for me, I would get that that cringy feeling, you know, what's that about? And, and how do we get rid of it? Well, and I think part of it is simply that we know that telling people about our accomplishments doesn't change how they think of us. Like I can say, yeah, I have an MBA, but it's not going to make a difference to somebody who, who, who that, that I want in my life. If it made a difference to the people in my life, I'd have the wrong people in my life, really. But I think about it more in terms of how do we talk about our accomplishments rather than fighting, talking about our accomplishments. How can we tell the story of an accomplishment without making it cringeworthy? And the way that I have done this with clients is I, I talk about, um, well, the, one of my clients, he said, well, I don't want to sound like I'm bragging. So it's not just women, just so we're all clear on that. <laughs> Any listeners here, we know even the men can totally relate to this. Um, he said, I don't want to sound like I'm I'm bragging. And I said, well, what story do you want to tell? He said, well, I I participated in triathlons. I'm a triathlete. And that's that's really cool to me. But if I tell people I'm a triathlete, it sounds like I'm bragging. I said, well, were you always a triathlete? He's like, well, no. I said, really? You had some obstacles getting there? He's like, well, yeah. I said, well, tell me about one of the obstacles. So we shifted the way that he told his story so that he could own that accomplishment. He could say, this was a big obstacle I overcame and you can too. Right, right. And so it becomes more about the process than the end product. And of course, the process is always more complex and interesting and a much better story because you have those challenges and those ups and downs and, and, you know, no one success is as simple as it seems on the surface. And that's why I think people do love story as a connecting device. I mean, if you're going to hear about someone's success, you don't want to hear that everything worked out for them from the very beginning. You know, we tend to not like those people very much, or we don't believe them. When you hear about the struggle, when you hear about the challenge, when you hear about transformation or obstacles overcome, now we start rooting for that person. So what I often do when I'm introduced to the stage and, and if my bio makes me feel cringy, I, I usually give them a, a, another prompt. They sometimes say, you know, tell us something interesting about you so I can come up with something that is maybe relatable to the audience or, or humorous. But I often, if I'm especially if I'm speaking about the book or about this idea of the power of our inner stories, I will come to the stage and I will even acknowledge my discomfort. Like, who are, who are we talking about here? And I bring up this voice in my head, who I call Squash, and I'll explain why I've actually named this voice in my head, and the origins of the story as to why sometimes it is hard to own our own accomplishments. And usually when I'm in the room of other high achieving professionals who just want to get better at what they do, they absolutely relate. Even if they weren't on the ski team and they didn't have this moment in the lunchroom, they, like you, had something similar where someone said something that really hurt us that we internalized for years. And then when that voice comes up, it can really get in our way. So I have named that voice in, in my head. I have named my narrator. I call it squash because it shows up, I say it really inopportune times to just squash my confidence so that when I've done something that I am proud of, the critical part will jump in and say, yeah, but you, but you made a mistake. You know, there's a typo on page 82 in the book, you know, or something like that. Or it will give me that striver type of narrator that says, okay, yeah, but what are you going to do now? You know, that's not good enough. And um, I named it Squash because when I was doing research about how to take command of our inner stories and, and you know, beat back that inner bully or that inner critic, one of the suggestions was to separate it from you, to give it an actual name. First of all, because it's funny. Second of all, it allows you to talk back. And then it, it does separate thought from action and emotion. Naming the emotion was the second part. So I've named, I've named the voice squash. So squash will say something like, you're not all that. You're so braggy. You're so full of yourself. Get over yourself. And then I'll think about, okay, why am I, why am I saying that to myself? You know, what am I feeling right now? 
And I'm, and, and the feeling is maybe that I'm worried that the audience won't like me if they don't see me as being relatable. So now I've identified the narrative voice. I've identified the emotion, and now I can separate that from the action I want to take moving forward. It just kind of gives you that pause in the moment to stop yourself from believing the story that you are telling yourself. And again, that narrator is is such an influential character. It's really the most influential character in, in our story because it talks to you throughout the day this consistent narration creates that narrative point of view, the way you view the world. So that if you are someone who believes that good things never happen for you, then you will probably go through life always noticing when the bad things happen, you know, and you won't notice the good things because that's the way you view the world. And then what becomes of that? You're just confirming for yourself the more you notice the bad things and the less you notice the good. And that's how that narrative voice can really run off with the story. So it's kind of complex, but to me, I break it down in the book with some humorous stories from my own life and stories from clients. And the goal really is to get us thinking about those inner stories and the impact they have on our actions and therefore on our external results. What I love about giving it a name is that then you can actually say, would you say that to somebody else? You talk to squash, you're like, wait a minute, would I ever say that to somebody else? Would I accept hearing that being said to somebody else? So giving her a name is like, uh, no. And it's similar to looking back at these girls and being like, Okay, mean girls. Right. Those are horrible people. (laughs) You don't want her in your head. You don't want her part of your life. Well, it's also always going to come back, of course. Right. What's always also interesting about that story is, again, you know, to me, I'm the central character in that story. And I didn't even consider their point of view that maybe they were jealous. Maybe they wanted to be in the paper. You know, I don't I don't know. I wasn't in their head. I was only in mine. We don't think about the perspective of other people within our own story, which is, again, why memory is, is such a tricky thing. But when you talk about questioning that inner narrator, questioning the squash, naming naming this voice in your head, you, I, I just say, well, shut up squash. You know, you're not helping right now. And that helps me. And also I have an image of what this, this voice in my head, this squash voice um, looks like. And so it just, it really does help me separate my tendency to think in a certain way from the actions I want to take. It's not me. It's not Valerie. It's this story that I've created and this voice in my mind. Now, I don't think that voice ever fully goes away. At least for me, it hasn't. It's all about turning the volume down on it. And I'll, and I'll give you, you know, your listeners a good idea for me what this sounds like anyway. Um, I'm not a great runner, but every so often I get out there and I, and I try to get back into running and of course, when I'm running around the track and, you know, if people are passing me, they're going so much faster. Squash is right there in my head going, oh, you know, you're so slow. Why are you even out here? You know, why bother? You ate that second piece of cake last night or whatever. She's just in there yapping away. And that can really make me want to stop running because it's not very motivating. And what I've really learned to do with that is to just kind of turn down the volume by saying, you know what, Squash, <laughs> you're not helping. I'm out here. I am doing this. I'm going to go two miles today. doesn't matter how, how slow. I'm going to finish. And it doesn't make me any faster and it doesn't make me a more accomplished runner, but it makes me get through that powerful voice that is telling me it's not worth it to even try. So that's how I talk back to it and kind of fact check it and keep squash that voice in, in check. So I I do want to ask you if you have that voice in your head and you like the idea of naming it, do you have a voice for your narrator, a name for your narrator? I haven't named her yet, but I definitely have one. I need to (laughs) name her. Um, My first thought is to name her after somebody who was really mean to me in high school, but um, I don't want to do that either because it's a real name. And just like teachers who go through many years of teaching before they have kids, they have a really hard time naming their kids because they have, you know, so many different kids that they've experienced that they're like, well, I can't name him Mark because there was that Mark four years ago that was such a horrible student, or I can't name her Cindy because, oh, that other Cindy, she was so mean to the other girls. And 
So I, I would rather not name her something that of a name that I might actually run into. <laughs> right, right. So a, a client of mine named her narrator Noisy, just because it was just noisy, you know. Um, but I, I love the idea of giving it a name, and it can be one that's appropriate. When I when I do my workshops live on this topic, we usually do all. Uh, I invite everyone to share their name of the narrator if they've come up with one. And it's always a humorous moment because sometimes they are real names. You know, we've got Agnes and Beulah and, you know, but we've also got poopy pants and some other words I probably can't man- mention, you know, on this podcast. And it just helps people take ownership, retake ownership of that voice in our in your head if the story has been getting getting away from you. Totally agree. Um, and the other thing that just popped into my head is the, the idea of taking apart that story. If you can find the origin story and actually looking at it from the other characters to see what was going on with them, because I think it allows us a little more compassion toward them and toward ourselves when we understand, oh my gosh, if I think back now, I realize that one of those girls was really severely bullied by her older sister. I remember later on or earlier in our lives together, hearing some of the stories about some of the mean things her sister said to her, you know, being able to put that into that perspective, I think helps us again, build compassion, which I think is another great way to deal with our inner narrators (laughs) with some compassion. The other thing that I was thinking of is just like strengths and just like the unlikelies, some of these narrators, you could turn up and turn down depending on what you want. So I would turn down the the squash that's saying, oh, I don't know why you're even doing this. You're just so slow. And turning up the squash that said, come on, are you going to let that person beat you? Don't you have a little competition in you? Come on, light a fire, girlfriend. (laughs) That's that's another thing I was thinking of is these narrators aren't all bad all the time. Sometimes they drive us. It's when they get in the way of our relationships with ourselves, with our achievements and with others that they start to have really negative consequences. So those are some of the thoughts that I had as we were talking. Right. Absolutely. And that's why one of the steps in the book, I say, you can, you can recast your narrator. I mean, who do you want in your head? Obviously it would be a a healthier, more objective and and more positive voice. And so um, I know who I would want in my head if I could recast that role. And all I need to do is just change two letters from Squash's name. If I take off the SH at the end and I add a D, now I've got squad and when I think about squad, I think about the, the the warriors from the Black Panther movies, those women with the spears, and they were so fierce and they all worked together. And that's who I want in my head saying, come on, you got this. We're with you when I'm running around the track. So I like to rethink of it. What would my squad say in this situation? And, and how might I then flip the story that direction? Mine would be Jean-Luc Picard's voice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Make it so. Well. <laughs> That's great as well. But it's, you know, it really comes down to examining the stories we tell ourselves. So I'll give you an idea of one other narrator, because this is such a frequent one for people. And it's called the people-pleasing narrator. And this is the voice in your head that will tell you that putting yourself first or not taking care of someone else is selfish or that you can't do that. And I know so many people who struggle with this, um, particularly, you know, um, parents or, you know, anyone caring for parents where you feel guilty all the time if you're not doing something for someone else. So if you look at the people-pleasing narrator that basically says everyone else should come first, you need to take care of everyone else, where did that story originate? And is it true? You know, who says that it's true? Where did this idea come from? And what do we want to do with it? Is there a way to rewrite that story or that thought in a way that allows us to still serve others while being able to serve ourselves? So the people pleaser is also one of those common 10 narrative types. Yes, I have your book open in front of me if you're wondering what I'm looking down at. (laughs) I'm looking at the book. I'm going to hold it up because maybe we'll get a little clip, a video clip to share with our listeners later on. I'm, I'm holding it up, but... I was looking through the um, table of contents and that's the very last one in the list, the number 10, the people-pleasing narrator. And um, I think especially women struggle with this. I know I know a handful of men that struggle with it, but the majority of my coaching clients who struggle with that kind of inner narrator are 
definitely women. And I think part of that is that we, when you look at generations past, that's what they did. The women were at home, right? And when the husband came home and dinner wasn't ready, there was a, a problem. There was friction. And um, so I think we hold on to this generationally, even if we're not experiencing it directly. My husband would never behave that way because he knows that we would not last more than five minutes if that was his behavior. Where's dinner? <laughs> no way. But I still have this generational PTSD from when it happened to my grandmothers and when it happened to my mother. And now as much as my life is different, I still have that experience of if he's doing something, I should be doing something too. Now I can't, when he is in the kitchen cleaning up, I can't be sitting and reading or watching TV. I need to go help him clean up the kitchen. Even if I made dinner and I've been cleaning all afternoon, right? So that I, I really believe that a lot of that is a generational thing. And um, I know that that's my primary inner narrator is I have to be doing something all the time. Mm-hmm. There, there has to be some level of productivity. And it just popped into my head the story that really demonstrates that. I, I have act, I have activator in my top talents. And so I often have, just like you, it's number three in yours, number two in mine. Um, I have this tendency to consistently feel a sense of urgency. Like it's all the time I wake up with a sense of urgency. And I remember when I first started my business, I actually surprised myself by having a plan in my head. And this is before I did StrengthsFinder. When I left my full-time job to focus exclusively on Elkins Consulting, I was sitting at the dining room table with my family. Both boys were home and they were in, I think one had just finished a first semester of college and the other was still in high school. And the younger one, who is my business guy, I mean, this guy is going to be the entrepreneur of the family, I'm sure, more so than any of the rest of us. When I told him I was going to give my notice, he said, oh, that's great, mom. It's about time. You've been working on this for a long time. I said, yeah, I realized that I can't do both anymore. I'm carrying my office on my in my pack and walking to my office. <laughs> so I can't do both anymore. He said, that's right. So... Um, what's your plan? And I remember thinking, what do you mean my plan? He said, well, how do you see yourself spending time over the next few months? And I thought, damn, that's a good question. And then I surprised myself and him and probably everybody at the table when I said, well, actually my thought is this. And I actually laid out the tasks that I was planning to do over the next few months, not focus on business development, but I was going to do these foundational documents. I was going to get certified as a disadvantaged business enterprise and a woman-owned business. So I could work with state and local and uh, federal agencies. So I actually had this plan, but I didn't realize I had this plan until I said it out loud because my whole life I've been called impulsive because of the activator. Interesting. And my top talent like yours is strategic. So to actually say this out loud was like, oh, I, I actually have a plan. But then the activator kicked in. And my idea of um, a, a good day where I can go to sleep feeling good about myself is I have to be productive. And what does that mean? Well, at the time, productive meant doing things. So for the first two months of exclusive self-employment, I was finishing projects I had been like putting off in the house. I hung up some pictures. We have a a little apartment that I was working on and doing yard work. And it was summer, (laughs) all this stuff done. And I'd go to bed so dissatisfied, even though I had been highly productive. And it wasn't until I sat down with my inner narrator, whatever her name or his name will be, um, and said, why am I feeling this sense of urgency? And why am I feeling so discouraged, even though I'm being so productive? And we had a whole conversation. Don't tell anybody because that, you know, I might get in trouble for that. I might end up being <laughs> sent away somewhere for having a whole conversation. You're just talking me. back to yourself. Yeah. Yeah. It's not like it you're was. voices in your head. You're, ta- you're questioning your own, your own inner voice exactly. about what it's telling and you. It, and I remember the moment, so that was the dinner time moment was great with Max. But then it was a couple months later, I had this sense of urgency. I had to get something notarized. And I went to the bank and I was in a hurry because I had a meeting right after and I hadn't made an appointment 
And the guy said, sure, I can do it. Just let me finish up with this client. I was like, yeah, yeah, fine. And I sat down and I remember this acid reflux coming up (laughs) and the sense of urgency and my stomach's doing that grinding thing that activators get a lot. And I'm sitting there like, doesn't he know I'm in a hurry? (laughs) I have this to do and this to do. And it was this moment where I leaned back and talked to my inner narrator and said, yeah, you have a lot to do, but your sense of urgency does not belong to him. Mm. And that's not fair. So where's this sense of urgency coming from? Is it something that is somebody else is putting on you? Or did you do this to yourself all by yourself? And it was all me. I was the one that set the deadlines. No one else was had any expectations of me at that point other than coaching clients. And I remember having this huge sense of relief that I had identified that sense of urgency and been able to use my strategic brain to solve the problem, to be like, okay, so instead I'm going to extend my deadline to tomorrow. I'm going to go to my luncheon appointment. I'm going to finish all these things. And then I'm going to go to bed satisfied. I, I love it. And I love how you focus on the strengths as the motivating factor. And when I think about it, to me, I focus on the story of the thought you're telling yourself, which is, I must be productive every day. I must be accomplishing something every day, you know, which comes, I think, from the the striving narrative type. And Mm -hmm. that's a great story and a great example for for so many of us who love making to-do lists so that we can cross stuff off. But you realize you're never going to finish the to-do list. There's always going to be more to add and that you never fully feel satisfied. And that's why. And I think you and I are so much alike, not just in that we're sort of, we look alike right now. We're going to have to take we're a photo dressed and show the same color. Show your, when you put on your glasses, glasses, we look like sisters. <laughs> but all the stories you share, I'm like, yeah, me too. And I, I, I think it's partly your talent for sharing stories in such a relatable way, but also that I, I, I'm very much, I see myself in your stories And one of the things I do now, because like you running my own business, there's always stuff to do. You're never going to finish everything. And I always wake up with that sort of feeling of, oh my God, what do I need to do today? You know, I spin around 20 times and then I fall down exhausted. And being able to really question that story, if I have so much to do, which is a thought or a story we tell ourselves to what really needs to be done today? of all these things that I'm hyperactive to do, you know, what really seek the evidence, what really needs to be done today. And then to be able to weigh my actions based on the, and how do I want to feel when I accomplish these things and what truly deserves my energy today? Because that last question to me can sometimes be a game changer. Like you, I'm like a task oriented. Let me check this thing off the list. First I'll go here, then I'll do this, then I'll get this done but it doesn't always result in me feeling like I've spent my energy in the most productive way. And so um, I love how you frame it around the strengths, the natural strengths we have in strength finders. And I love how you've allowed me to frame it around the idea of these narrative types. And I absolutely think they walk hand in hand. Oh, absolutely. I completely agree. I, what I appreciate about these inner narrators is that each of us can relate to multiple of them and and some of them don't resonate with me at all and i think that's really great because then i can see where it might resonate with somebody else and think okay how can i contribute whether it's a coaching client a friend or even just somebody that i see regularly at the grocery store mm-hmm. you know being able to see okay this is probably what's going on this is why they reacted that way it's because i i pushed a button here because of this inner narrator. Right. So to bring things full circle, I want to ask you one more question. When you think of the 10 inner narrators, which one actually do you think benefits you when you acknowledge it and and use it to your advantage? Because I know one of them does, like the unlikelies. Yeah. And that's such a great question because I think each, so for all the narrative types, and I say most people in the book, you'll recognize yourself in one or more of the narrators. You tend to have a a strong tendency towards one or two with maybe two or three others showing up in moments of stress. And there will be some that sound unfamiliar to me. I imagine the, to you, I imagine the arrogant narrator is one that maybe didn't necessarily resonate with you or the defeatist narrator, because it's not the way you think. Um, For me, I've had a hard time and, and I'm not sure if this is what you're seeing in me as you, as you know me so well, 
but I've had a hard time controlling the striving narrator. I think in many ways, it has helped me um, achieve. It has helped me get to things done. It's helped me want to do and be more and raise my impact. And it has also taken me to extremes where I've completely burned out. And so the striving narrator, I think, can be a very effective one. I actually think they can all be effective in their own way because we can learn things from the stories that they tell us and understand that they're there to protect us from, you know, future harm or concern. Um, but the striving narrator to me, when I use it appropriately, um, can get me motivated. When I use it inappropriately, when I allow it to tell me that what I've done is not enough and I need to do more and I can't rest on my laurels, then it becomes that negative narrative voice in my head. Yeah, I kind of had a feeling that was going to be the one that you talked about. Is that the one you were thinking about? Yeah, because of your competition and achiever in your top talents. And I think it's it's not uncommon. I know it's not uncommon because of all the people I've worked with, hundreds of people using this tool. And now I can associate them also with the inner narrator, which is an additional tool in my toolkit, which uh, my friend Tom Dietzler always loves to offer that. Um, I was thinking about that because when I talk about strengths, I talk about just based on my training, when I went to Gallup and did this training, they talk about it being in the balcony of your strengths and in the basement of your strengths. And the same thing happens with the narrator that sometimes it is helping you and sometimes it's harming you. And knowing the difference in the moment is almost impossible unless you're aware of the voice in the first place. Really, that to understand that it's not ten different voices in your head. It's the it's the narr it's the narrative thought. It's the narrative thought process that creates that point of view. And to question it really does all start with the stories of what they're telling you. And to be able to question those stories and look for truth and look at how you can you can harness it to use it to your advantage. And start looking at the evidence of um, when it did work for you. So yeah, you have the story of when getting acknowledged for something was like the kiss of death for your friendships. Well, and I'm going to use an air quote friendships. Mm -hmm. um, but then the other times where it won you an Emmy mm -hmm. and, and, and then another Emmy and then another Emmy, like that inner voice actually did some really cool stuff for you. So you have all this evidence built up over 20 years of things that were like, wow, because I strive because I, I want to achieve, I have achieved to this certain level. Um, and understanding that, again, it's, it's not all bad, but we're only looking for the negative consequences of that voice. Right, right. So, and again, did you, see me, did you see me cringe as you were I saying did. that? I was like, oh, good God, I don't did. talk about that. And that's, but I, think, I know, owning it, I think, is oh, owning it is battle. Being relatable is important too. And so, you know, what I would want people to know is that all the glitters isn't gold for sure. And um, you do need to own your accomplishments. And probably more importantly, you need to own the process that got you there and the challenges that you had to overcome, because that really is where the, the great story lies. It's not in the outcome or the final moment or the the bow or the award. It's it's really in, in in everything that you did to get there. And that's the story you need to share, not just the success mm -hmm. part, but the real conflict part and those unlikelies, those things that spurred the story on. I love hearing you say that because that's also what will help achievers move forward and stop beating themselves up. Is saying, yes, I'm going to move forward. I'm going to do something else. I'm going to hit another obstacle. I'm going to hit another challenge that I'm going to overcome. You know, knowing that rather than sitting on the, oh, what's going to come next? <laughs> you know, oh gosh, I have to do something more. I have to achieve. I have to continue to achieve. Being able to say, I'm going to continue achieve, to achieve and I'm going to hit more obstacles. And that's, that's the beauty of where I am in life at any given time. So, oh my gosh, this is so rich. This is such a rich conversation for our listeners. Um, why don't you share a little bit about how to get a hold of you, um, what your favorite things to do are when it comes to working with certain clients and, and what you do. Um, and just so our listeners know, I will have the links in the podcast notes on elkinsconsulting.com so you don't have to rush to get a pen. 
Well, thank you so much, Sarah, again, for the opportunity to chat with you again. Like you said, it's always fun to visit new countries, but sometimes you find one that you want to go back to and explore a little more. And talking to you, I I could do it every day. And I don't think we would ever run out of stories to talk about. So right now, I'm I'm largely focused on, I do a lot of um, corporate training for, for groups, leadership development, communication skills, very much on how our stories intertwine, how we tell them and the impact they have on each other. And of course, that all starts with the power of the inner story. And I speak at conferences as well. Uh, My website is commanderinshe.com. Commander in She is the name of my company, helping people take command of the storytelling skills to give them success. And the book is Fire Your Narrator, fireyournarrator.com. It can be found on Amazon and uh, Barnes and Noble. Um, Please pick up a copy. You can download a digital copy. And again, the goal of that is for you to be able to map your own inner narrator and turn down the volume on old or unhelpful stories while rewriting ones that will help see you into your next chapter. Valerie, thank you again for joining me. I'm so glad we had this opportunity. Thank you, Sarah. Are you ready to start your story portfolio so you have the right story ready to share when the opportunity presents itself? When you're ready to get started, my book, Your Stories Don't Define You, How You Tell Them Will is available in all the regular places. And the audiobook version is available on Google Play and on my website, elkinsconsulting.com. As a special bonus for listeners, the audiobook includes two songs recorded by my band, Spare Change, in my living room in Montana. Also on my website is a free podcast interview checklist. It's available to download to make sure you make the most out of your next podcast interview. If you enjoyed this podcast, please feel free to rate the podcast and leave a review and let me know that you've done it so I can thank you properly. Thank you.